Hi, I'm Amit Sharma at the All in Food Studios of the Food Decisions Research Laboratory at Penn State's School of Hospitality Management. Welcome to this podcast from our studio facility in the Merit Foundation building of the School of Hospitality Management. Today, we play that balancing act of talking not just about food, but also drinks. In the past, if you remember, we have looked at consumption patterns of alcoholic beverages, industry trends, and how the production side is responding to what consumers are demanding. After all, it is all about the consumer and their preferences. Now, with each new year comes a new set of alcoholic beverage consumption statistics, trends, predictions, and if I may even say, products and services. As in years past, we have invited Dr. Kathy Keeley to talk to us about some of those most recent data that describes what is happening in the alcoholic beverage space, essentially to help us make sense of what we are drinking and why. Our discussion, of course, today uh, relates more closely to responsible consumption and production, sustainable development goal number 12. So I'm delighted to welcome back our resident wine and beverage expert, Dr. Kathy Keeley, who is a professor in the Department of Plant Science in the College of Agricultural Sciences at Penn State University. Uh, Kathy, welcome back to All In Studios, and thank you for agreeing to share your insights into this podcast. Thank you for having me back. So as, as I was uh, uh, suggesting, you know, uh, alcoholic beverages, consumption patterns, what, what are you finding? What have you seen recently? So there's been a, quite a bit of movement within the alcoholic beverage space. And so I tend to look at sources where I've used the data in the past and they're the really recognized sources is providing great data that's trusted. So one of the sources I use is Gallup. And Gallup has said at, in their most recent report, um, has been they've been tracking consumer trends for several years. But when averaged over the past two years of 2021 to 2022, they found that 65% of adults aged 21 and older drank alcohol. So a little bit higher than in the years past by a 1% or 2%. But I think what is also interesting is that they report statistics on who those consumers are demographically. And they found that those more likely to consume these beverages had higher annual household incomes of $100,000 or more. Likewise, the higher the level of education, the greater percentage of adults in the cohort who had consumed alcoholic beverages, while the incidence of consumption decreased as age increased. And they found that nearly a nearly equal ratio of men to women consumed alcohol. And concerning race and ethnicity, more non-Hispanic white adults consumed alcohol than Hispanic and non-Hispanic black adults. Interesting. Uh, what are what are these? Uh, you know, what are the consumers drinking? So, if we look at consumption data, we would learn that there are consumers who drink beverages exclusively from just one of the three categories beer, wine, or spirits. And of course, we have consumers who drink beverages from two categories. But I think what is most interesting is that according to IRI, another trusted source, um, adults who consume beverages from all three categories, that percentage is increasing. So in 2022, 27% of adults said that they drank beer, wine, and spirits. And this percentage should increase to about 30% within the next couple of years. But however, we're seeing that overall spirits consumption is rising while beer consumption is declining. 
And wine opinions has indicated that those consumers who consumed beer on a weekly or more frequent basis were more likely to be males. Um, weekly wine consumers who were more likely to weekly wine consumers were more likely to be female. And consumption of spirits is about equal by gender. For beverages within the beer and spirits category, a greater percentage of hard ciders, beer seltzers, and spirit seltzers were consumed by those between age 21 and 34 than panelists over age, uh, age 35 and older. And there are other sources that provide additional information about consumption behaviors, but generally the younger generations are more likely to consume a greater variety of alcoholic beverages and be more adventurous in their choices. Mm. You know, the the part on the beer and, and seltzer consumption makes sense of the age group. Uh, but, but what I, I, I was, I'm, su- I'm surprised, well, not totally surprised, but it's interesting to see that spirit consumption continues to increase. I, I remember from when you were reporting during the COVID uh, pandemic that we had begun to see that shift, or if you want to call it, um, Towards uh, preference towards spirit consumption, um, is that did did the data or the reports say that this is something that's going to continue? And what do you think it means for the industry? So all indications point to that we're going to see spirit consumption increase for a few reasons. The cocktail culture is still very prevalent. Younger consumers find that you know there's different ways to mix. At liquors in such a way that each drink can be pretty much unique and of its own taste and type. And what this means for other industries, such as the beer and wine industry, is that they need to be aware of these consumer trends and figure out what it is about spirit consumption that is appealing to these younger consumers and finding a way to use that messaging or the advantage of drinking beer or wine over spirits what that might be. So it's really about crafting the message, but understanding the consumer and why that message has has been so um, interesting to them or appeals to them. And of course, there's probably opportunity based on research to develop new products that will more likely appeal to these younger consumers. Hmm, interesting. You know, uh, uh, there, there are several uh, places I have seen where the cocktail, uh, they're, they're continuing to emphasize or promote cocktails and different types of recipes, et cetera. So that makes a lot of sense to what you were saying, that, that cocktail culture remains and in fact might even be getting a boost um, in the recent past. I have to say that I have, I've always, for the past number of years, I've seen mention of using wine as the base for cocktails. But I, I saw a little bit more of that mention in some of the reports that I refer to when I put my summary together for the Penn State Extension website. And I, I've noticed a bit more about using wine as that base. So perhaps we'll see that that particular category grow within the, the alcoholic beverage space. Would you venture to say this is a little bit of a maturing of how we look at you know, beverages such as wine uh, and, and other spirits? Do you mean uh, so, as far as? So, you know, not just drinking wine for what it is, but maybe trying out being a little bit more adventurous and, and, and trying some cocktails with it and, 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 and recipes. 
I think so. I think that the pandemic really helped people kind of understand that they could be their own mixologists in their own home. And um, I remember reading quite a few articles about how that was really something that consumers do were doing because they couldn't go out to restaurants and bars, obviously, during the shelter in place period. But because they couldn't have access to those new and unique kind of beverages, they were, were taking it upon themselves to do that in their own home. And there were products that were developed based on learning about these consumer in, this consumer interest in becoming mixologists. So we did see that, you know, uh, and of course, there's always the, the hard seltzer and the, the ready-to-drink to beverages that, that have exploded in the past couple of years and how just different flavors and perhaps based on this, the situation when people are consuming the beverage, that kind of in, helps them decide what to drink at that particular moment. Mm. Talking about situation, do you think how how did you see any data or statistics related to how situation can impact consumption? I did. The Harris poll, they conducted a survey and they asked alcoholic beverage consumers a question. What would you likely bring to a party to share with others? And so what they found is that nearly half of consumers age 65 and older would bring wine. Fewer than a third of consumers aged 35 to 64 would bring wine, and slightly fewer would bring beer. The beverage that those aged 21 to 34 would bring was very diverse, so nothing over 20% as far as uh, what somebody would bring. So, for example, 20% would bring beer, and nearly equal percent would bring spirits, flavored malt beverages, hard ciders, and wine, and then you know, coming in under 10% were um, hard ciders. So a very diverse type of, of product that they would bring to an occasion where maybe in the past and specifically for those baby boomers, you know, wine was the, the thing that you brought to mm. uh, for your host or hostess. Hmm. And I, I think that also, um, if I might also add on to that, so hmm. when it comes to how consumers feel about a particular beverage, results from a morning consult survey indicated that participants in their surveys, associated wine with timelessness and that it pairs well with food. And both wine and spirits were associated with elegant and better for formal events. So perhaps that is the, the tie in there as to why certain segments or certain demographics would bring those, those particular uh, wine to that particular type of outing with family and friends, the formal events. And beer, which we might expect, was associated with uh, you know, affordability, casual, convenient, and good for daytime drinking. Interesting. Okay. Well, Kathy, that's a that's a lot of information. Um, uh, so while our listeners unpack that, I'm going to also throw in our um, quiz for for the podcast. So please stay with us, um, and this uh, and uh, and we'll come back to our discussion. So for our listeners, uh, today's quiz question is as follows: How much do you think we spend on drinking alcoholic beverages? Uh, you can base it by the month or the year. Choose your preference, but we'll get to the answer at the end of this uh, podcast. So, Kathy, um, back to our discussion. I remember uh, when we spoke last time, uh, I think the, the last year, you had talked a little bit about uh, non-alcoholic or no and uh, non-alcoholic beverages. Where are we now in that space when it comes to no or possibly even low alcoholic beverages? Yes. So sales of both low and no alcoholic beverages have continued to grow. 
and they're expected to continue in a very positive trajectory. So if I can just give you one statistic between 2022 and 2026, the no alcohol category is expected to increase by in volume by 25%, while low alcohol is category is supposed to increase by 6%. And continuing with the trend from last year, consumers who purchase non-alcoholic or low alcoholic beverages are not restricting them to consuming just those beverages. Instead, mm-hmm. we're still seeing that about 82% of non-alcoholic drinkers also buy products with alcohol in it. So by far, non-alcoholic beer accounts for most of the sales, but the non-alcoholic spirits spirits category is growing the fastest. And so in addition to low and no alcoholic products, consumers are seeking other better for for you beverages, um, and those are lower in calories or have fewer carbs or there's some sort of feel-good label attached to them. Mm, better for you. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to come back to better for you in a second. But the, sure. the no alcohol category you're saying is going to continue. At how much did you say? By 20, 20 odd percent, 25 percent? About 25 percent through 2022 to 2026 for no no, no alcohol, and then six percent for um, during the same period for low alcoholic beverages. And so you know, you might be wondering. Oh. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, I was just oh, wondering you might, what, you know, what, what kind of implications this might have on the industry. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's you, they ha- will have to take a look at the way that, you know, they, they think about the beverages that they produce and, you know, think about why consumers are choosing these products. And so, you know, for mo- the most part, consumers are drinking less alcohol to reduce or manage their weight or for other physical health reasons, also to improve or manage mental health and improve sleep. And of course, with dry January just behind us, you know, there's a certain percentage of consumers who participate in that. And I read recently that, um, you know, younger consumers might be doing it because they like the challenge, uh, in addition to, to other reasons why they might reduce their alcohol consumption. So, well, you know, dry January is becoming a very much part of our, our culture. It's, it has been for the past few years. Hmm, that is so interesting. Okay, so you said better for you beverages. That sounds like a new terminology in, in the beverage space. Um, what's, what, what is, what does it mean in terms of, and especially for the consumers? Yeah. Consumers are just really looking for alcoholic beverages where maybe they, they feel that, um, with the fewer calories or fewer carbs or fewer sugars overall that, you know, they're drinking that beverage is not as bad for them, um, mm-hmm. than, you know, the traditional standard alcoholic beverage that they might choose and you know it's it's possible that with this particular move towards these better for you beverages and just overall interest amongst consumers as to what they're drinking that you know we might see alcohol ingredient labels start to appear to appear on on um, alcoholic beverage bottles that's something that is certainly gathering attention in the uh, among consumer groups Hmm. So this is, uh, it's also very consistent with the FDA's move, you know, they're moving towards uh, redesigning, constantly redesigning food labels, front of uh, package and and back of package as well. Do you think this is, you know, does it have, is it just related to consumer preferences or there's also this drive from the policy end or is one responding to the other? 
I think there's a definitely, I have seen a great interest from consumer groups. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the Wine Market Council, they conducted a survey to, as part of their survey, try to learn about whether these ingredient labels or alcohol ingredient labels would would be of interest to consumers, whether whether they care because it's a beverage as opposed to, you know, food item. And so of those who participated in the survey and who had not seen an ingredient label, two in five think that the ingredients should be listed on a wine bottle. For example, they they looked specifically at, at the uh, the wine category. A quarter felt it wasn't really necessary and the rest were indifferent. So whether this will change over time or whether there are particular segments of wine consumers who have a greater interest in this particular type of information listed on their wine bottles, I, I think we'll we'll learn more because, uh, you know, the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, they're considering an alcoholic facts panel, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. very similar to the, the food um, ingredient panel that we see on, on foods that we purchase. And so they are right now kind of un- determining what, if that is the direction they want to go, um, how they're responding to consumer groups that are, are advocating for that, and then what would be included. So we might see an alcoholic panel, uh, alcohol fact, alcohol facts panel, excuse me, um, that mm-hmm. lists, you know, the number of servings inside the bottle, uh, what is a serving size, and then the calories per serving, and very similar data. Mm, that is, uh, I would say, in the positive direction, uh, you know, particularly when it comes to serving sizes, um, you know, that any, anything that consumers can see on the package, I don't know if you would agree with it, but anything that we can see on the package that relates to serving sizes, uh, has got to have a positive influence. I haven't I haven't seen I, research yeah. to suggest that, but um, I don't know what your thoughts are. I think that consumers should have access to the information that they desire, and you know, if especially for those consumers who are maybe more frequent drinkers, you know, they perhaps there's a concern as to what they are consuming. I think that the more informed a consumer is about what they're eating, the the better decisions they can make for themselves as to what to eat and how much to eat and drink. Mm, yeah. So what other trends are you, uh, did you find in, in your research? So I, I always think it's of interest to, to kind of look at what are consumers spending on alcohol. I think that in addition to how much they're consuming, I think that, you know, expenditure is, is pretty fascinating. And industry sources mentioned that consumers are willing to spend more on alcohol and that they are trading up and actually purchasing premium priced products. Mm-hmm. So more consumers spent $50 or more on a bottle of alcohol in 2022 than they did in 2021. And several sources indicate that it's the millennial and the Gen Zs who are the prime targets, our younger consumers. And then the main draw is sustainability, that they are willing to pay more for a premium alcoholic product that they purchased, but that the product must have certain benefits. So they're looking for quality ingredients, no additives or preservatives. They want to know how the alcohol was made, who made it, and where it is from. And of course, the sustainability. They want to know that you know the product is uh, the manufacturers are making smart choices with how they're producing the products, and that um, I'll quote from a, an, a a report that they these consumers care about responsible employment practices. So we're really seeing those three stools or three legs of the sustainability stool kind of come forefront. Hmm. Interesting. Um, 
we have we have time for just one more uh, question, Kathy. Um, I was wondering if you have any any thoughts on sort of uh, product uh, creativity, innovation, particularly when it comes to things like flavoring. Uh, you know, there's always uh, you you always so it's happened in other products also, but it's it's hard to find just a. Uh, a, a, a traditionally tasting vodka, for instance, or even rum. There's just so many flavors that have come on the market. Uh, what is the what do the statistics show or the research shows? Yeah, so there's been quite a bit of movement as far as flavors in all three categories: beer, wines, and spirits. But while it's not necessarily a flavor for the wine industry, there's been a decline in Chardonnay consumption, while Sauvignon mm-hmm. Blanc has increased. And I've seen evidence that suggests that younger consumers are responsible for this positive Sauvignon Blanc consumption trend. So mm-hmm. again, referring back to wine opinions, they asked their panel members to indicate how their consumption of particular wine varietals recently changed. And so they found that a greater percentage of panelists under age 40 indicated that they were drinking more Sauvignon Blanc than those age 40 and, 40, age 40 and older. And mm-hmm. they also found that pertaining to red varietals, that um, consumers were drinking more of Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot Noir along with red blends. And when they took a look at how how these consumption behaviors um, differed based on gender, they found that a greater percentage of males indicated they were drinking more Cabernet Sauvignon than women, and more women were drinking more Pinot uh, red blends than than males. And hmm. um, it, I'll continue with this with uh, uh, the beer category, which is, you know, we're kind of seeing some interesting things happen there. So specifically with wheat ales, um, Nielsen IQ states that tropical flavored wheat ales grew last year, while sales Mm. of of unflavored citrus, berry and stone fruit wheat ale flavors fell in in demand. And Mm. For hard ciders, which I, I think that I can see how the, the first flavor that, that I'm going to share with you is, is of interest mm. to consumers is, is based on, you know, like the sour trend. Um, mm. Consumers really looking for sour foods. So mm. for hard ciders, the top flavors last year were cucumber, blueberry, mm. passion fruit, tea peach, and strawberry lemonade. And that's an order. So cucumber by far was, was the most popular. And then lastly, for hard seltzers, consumers really wanted, you know, a diverse flavor offering. So they they definitely purchased more packets of packs of multiple flavored hard seltzers than a strict one flavor package. But Mm. that was followed by iced tea flavored hard seltzers and black cherry. So and there's a lot of talk about how emerging hard seltzer flavors are, are going to include margarita, punch, and ranch water. And we've um, this past year, a lot of talk was was uh, um, out there about how margarita was the the number one um, cocktail ordered on premise in the the U.S. So they're probably picking up on that that uh, um, hospitality restaurant mm. um, bar preference and and trying to include that in a product offered to, to consumers that they consume in their own home. This is so fascinating. As I was just going through some of the, the things that you shared, the wealth of uh, information um, that, that you shared today. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to suggest a few sort of uh, takeaways from this and, and, and you tell me if, where, uh, 
I might need uh, some editing here. Um, generally speaking, there seems to be a greater diversity of experiences that consumers are seeking. Um, I think you talked about all three being high, so all three being uh, you know, changing in, in the same direction. Uh, well, actually, spirits going up and, and beers going down, but there are many folks who are drinking all three types of spirits. Would you would you say that's sort of yes? What's, yes. Yeah? So okay. we we have certainly have those strict beer drinkers, but we have a lot more beer, wine, and spirit drinkers. Yeah, and then obviously you talked about the flavor profiles, which also gets me to you know believe that we're looking seeking out new experiences and particularly the cocktails with wines and just the whole the, the whole emphasis or continued um preferences for for cocktails mm -hmm. yes those flavors definitely um in hard ciders and and other ready to drink malt beverages really kind of make me think of certain cocktails that i would have in a restaurant or at a bar yeah um, and last but not the least, I think this idea of informed uh, choices, informed decision making through uh, nutritional facts, uh, through labels, I think is very encouraging. Uh, so, uh, Kathy, thank you for sharing this information. As, as usual, it's just such a pleasure to talk to you about this. Well, thank you for having me again. I appreciate being able to, to talk more with you about these and, and hopefully we can do this in the future again. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. But before you go, um, we want to share the answer to our quiz for, from today's podcast. So the quiz question was, how much are we spending on alcoholic beverages? Uh, according to a poll conducted by USA Today, millennials can spend over $300 per month on drinking alcoholic beverages. You got a little bit of this from uh, Kathy's uh, discussion as well. The comparable numbers for Gen Xers uh, and Boomers is $151 and $97, respectively. In the same survey, respondents reported that 58% of millennials surveyed ordered alcohol or an alcoholic beverage when they ate out. One possibility, of course, is that millennials are at that age, you know, when they are uh, spending more, they're earning more, they're spending more, just as Kathy was also talking about in, from those surveys, uh, they're living in spaces that are more expensive, such as urban areas, cities. Um, uh, so situation does make a difference, as again, as Kathy was talking about that. Uh, so for instance, uh, those surveys reported that spending just $50 on a glass of wine and wine and, 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 uh, and appetizers is not a big deal. So that does make a difference where you are. Um, it is no wonder that 50% of millennials were thinking of staying dry in January, not just for health, but also financial reasons. So add that to the list of reasons for January being the dry month. Now, versus that, 35% of Gen Xers and 23% of boomers were in favor of uh, a dry January. All right, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with two or more people who you think will benefit from listening to it. Um, and particularly when it comes to food and alcoholic beverages or any beverage, um, be safe and make informed choices. Above all, please stay healthy and cheerful. Kathy, thank you again for being with us. Until next time from thank the Food Studios. Until next time from the Food Studios, this is Amit Sharma. Thank you for listening. <laughs>